Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. There's a blast. Deep into the night. And a two-run homer for Baez. And there it goes. Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. Donna goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Angling 25-20. Got a block for Brown. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Welcome into Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I'm Chris Black along with Adam Abdallah sitting in for Jonathan Hood tonight. You can follow us on Twitter at Adam A. Abdallah and at Chris Black. We are live from the First Midwest Bank Studios on State Street in downtown Chicago. We are here till 9 o'clock tonight. We are open for business and your phone calls at 312-332-3776. Or you can tweet at us on Twitter. We will get back to you throughout the show. Abdallah, it is here. Bears, Packers, week. We are finally here, ready for the first week of NFL football to get on their way. But first, we have a weekend. Labor Day weekend. The Cubs beat the Brewers today 7-1. to one, And college football is in full swing. Yeah, well, trust me. We, we have full time and, and a whole allotment of meats and cheeses Woo, to baby. share with everybody starting on Monday. But first, Chris. <laughs> but first, Chris. Yes. The Cubs are back well that's what they look like uh today and uh we will hear from nick saban at 7 30 uh tonight on the program lots Hi, of college football conversation uh but we start things off with the chicago cubs they beat the brewers seven to one nick Cassianos with two home runs today abdallah in the way he is playing for this lineup incredible the way the jump start and the spark that he has added to this Cubs offense since he was traded from the Tigers. I don't know if that hunger thing was real that the, that Joe and that Theo was talking about and that Anthony Rizzo rebuffed when he said, no, we're all hungry, we all want to win again, all that kind of thing. But there's something about when you insert a player into your lineup every day like Nicholas Castellanos and he just does everything. He's even playing better in the field. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if he just cares more now that he's here or if just being in the vibe of the Cubs and and they still have that good vibe that free agents talked about coming to. But ultimately, he gets two hits, two home runs today. I mean, it's or the home run today. I mean, it was great. It was great. Dare I say Nick Cassianos has... uh... Not more, but just as much whoa, swag whoa, whoa, as Javi Baez. Is that, is that things, possible? Let's not say things we can't take back, Chris. I, I know what I said. But ultimately, there's enough swag for everybody on the Cubs. Sometimes Castellanos will swag. Yeah. Sometimes Javi will swag. There's nothing cooler than the way Castellanos celebrates a home run. There's nothing cooler than when Javi Baez celebrates a home run. There's enough swag and enough home runs for the for everybody. Did you see him throw that bat today? Oh, man. A yes. double, double-fisted spike? Yes. Pretty cool. Uh, he also looks cool. Like the the way the jersey hangs off, you know, his chest, it's the, the chains, everything about it's it. the sunglasses. Yeah. He like when he hits a home run, he just looks cool. And guess what? All right, they're winning. They've won four in a row. Cubs are back. 
Don't worry about it. So let's talk about this at 312-332-3776. Chris Black and Am Abdallah singing for Jonathan Hood tonight on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. You know, the way fans and media and us and everyone has talked about this Cubs front office this season, uh, you would think that they were hitting below the Mendoza line, under 200, right? The way that the front office has taken a beating at points this season based on the play of the team uh, for the Chicago Cubs. And to be honest, they've actually done a great job of getting talent to support this team to make a playoff run. They've challenged their young core. They've let a manager twist in the wind, but they've added legit talent to the roster. And what I want to point to tonight is this. Mm -hmm. Nick Cassianos, the addition, the trade for the bat at the trade deadline. Where do you rank this move as one of the best moves Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer have made for the Chicago Cubs? The life that he's injected into this team here down the stretch, I think will go down as we we move out into the future and we look back on how this season will end and what will take place for the Chicago Cubs. I think we will look back at the Cassianos move for Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer as one of the marquee moves that they made to keep this title window open and to keep this team uh, moving towards a championship. Now, let's go through some of the great moves that they've had. Yeah, come on, because let's not get it twisted here. Yeah, you know, obviously you could point to signing John Lester as a free agent. There's a move. You could point to trading for Araldis Chapman, which led to having a closer to win the World Series. That move won the World Series, Chris. You know it did. Uh, No, you needed him to win the World Series. Certainly helped. Uh, How about trading for Jose Quintana? At the time, and many times throughout the season, you could go back and forth on that. But clearly, Quintana, one of the star aces of the staff, leading the way for this Cubs team this season. How about signing Ben Zobris as a free agent back in the day? That that could be under the great moves for Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer uh, that they've ma- made for the Chicago Cubs. Trading for Anthony Rizzo back in 2012. Uh, trading for Jake Arrieta. And then not signing Jake Arrieta when he became a free agent. You know, that that's a move that has to be acknowledged from them as well, that they got right. The fact to not sign Jake Arrieta after he had so much success for the Chicago Cubs after they traded for him. How about this one? Signing you Darvish in free agency. That has now turned into a complete positive for the Chicago Cubs. And then also the trade for Nick Cassianos. Where would you rank Nick Cassianos in the great moves that Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer have made for the Chicago Cubs because this is what it is. When this guy goes out there today, hits two home runs, throws down the bat, Mm -hmm. he has put life into this offense. He has brought some of the hunger, some of the swag, some of the fun back into this Cubs outlet. I think that you have to put it... I don't think it's as impactful as Chapman because that resulted in a World Series. Now we'll see. It remains to be seen, right? Like if they go on and they win a World Series and he's a World Series MVP or the NLCS MVP or whatever it is, right? Then I have the right to change this, okay? We're going to put a little asterisk next to this, okay? Uh, I think that the John Lester move is number is is number one because I think that that signified the change. That signified the we're ready to do this now. That signified Theo and Jed are here. We're bringing in, we're spending, we're bringing in aces. We're going to do this, and it's time now to change the mindset of the Chicago Cubs and the lovable losers. It's over, and now we're going to be a real baseball team, and that's kind of what that signified. And then 
I have to go with Chapman second because it ultimately led to them winning a World Series. Whether you, I'm not going to get into, into the whole other stuff with Chapman, but he won a World Series. He got them into winning a World Series. Okay. Yeah. And then now, Castellanos, I think, oh, might over, be over Rizzo. Might be. Huh. Well, yeah, I mean, Quintana. Look, Quintana's. Look. Uh, well, no, because the, okay, the but would they be better with? The players that they gave up for Quintana. So let me help you uh, with this. Let's let's uh, shrink the question a little bit, and let me give you specifically for this season. What was the better move that played out for this season? Signing you Darvish, trading for Jose Quintana, or trading for Nick Cassianos? Because all three of them right now, those are three key pieces to this team going forward. And especially if you're a Cubs fan, you think that that this team can make a run to the World Series. All three of those guys are going to be in the conversation of some of the most important factors mm-hmm. for this Cubs team heading towards the playoffs. I think you Darvish is number one because if you if you Darvish is pitching like he's pitching now, this is a top contending team. The way that he's pitching in his last few outings, the way that he's gotten command of his pitches and the the walk, the stretch of of not walking a batter that he had, he's a completely different player from when they signed him. I don't know if he'll ever live up live up to that contract. But ultimately, right now, he's one of the best pitchers in your rotation. Castellanos might be too. Because if you didn't have Quintana, you probably would have signed another pitcher. You would have found a way to find another pitcher. But Castellanos is making up for Wilson Contreras' bat not being in the lineup. He's making up for Rizzo's bat not being in the lineup right now. He's making up for a slumping Javi Baez. He's making up for all these guys, all these problems that the Cubs are having. He's making up for it by himself. Whether it's, whether it's two home runs today or a meaningful hit late in the game, ultimately he's making the whole team look better and he's kind of overshadowing what the real problems with this team are and that's all the slumps that are happening, the Addison Russell not being uh, who he used to be as a player, Chris Bryant struggling, uh, Schwarber having his struggles in the past and ultimately all this is kind of pushed aside because you've got a guy who's basically carrying the team right now and because of that they're back in contention and because of that they have a chance to still win the division they're ahead in the wild card right now and they still have a chance to make a postseason run because of him chris black am abdallah singing for jonathan hood tonight on espn 1000 under the hood on espn 1000 and the espn app the two moves of Darvish and Quintana have basically saved this season for the Chicago Cubs. Think about it. If they didn't have Quintana and Darvish in the rotation, where would the Cubs be without those two? Obviously, they need them, and they are carrying the rotation at this point. We may look back, though, after the trade for Nick Cassianos and say that that deal saved the 2019 Cubs. Slumping offense, it was saved by a hungry bat looking for something to prove. And not only was the bat needed, the attitude and the breath of fresh air in the locker room I think was needed as well. Here's Joe Madden after the game talking about Nick Cassianos and how he likes to play. I'm telling you, when you talk to him, my God, he's the same dude every day. I don't care. Uh, I don't know if he sleeps or not, but he's absolutely the same person. He's always energetic. His conversations are always upbeat. He's never morose about anything. I mean, this is just who this guy is. He likes to play. Nick Cassianos after the game. How does it feel to be in a pennant race? Oh, man, it's awesome. You know, but not just not because of me, but just because of where I'm at and who I'm playing with and where we're at in the standings and, you know, what these two months are. You know, that's what's rewarding about it. Nicky Swag, tell us about the excitement and the bat slam you had after the home run. Oh, I mean, having an idea that he was going to come in and 
wanting to do exactly what I did and just looking to the boys and getting fired up. I mean, I don't really have a explanation. I didn't mean to like do that or anything. It just came out. Is that something that you hope like can fire up a group as well too? Uh, sure. <laughs> you know, that's just what I, I. I don't know. That's just how I felt like expressing myself in that moment was looking to the guys and uh, doing what I did. So Nick Castellanos, two home runs today. The Cubs win seven to one over the Brewers, and they continue to play. Uh, good baseball here, and we'll see what takes place over the course of the next weekend. And, and you know, I think Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer are in, in a situation where they, they've really put it on the players to prove themselves and to take advantage of the opportunity in front of them. But listen, Jed and Theo have done a good job of adding to this team as they go, and they didn't really address much in the offseason. But as they've gone here, Craig Kimbrell, mm-hmm. Nick Cassianos, they have added to this team that has helped here during the run. Yeah, they're good at making up for their mistakes. Was it a mistake to not sign a reliever earlier in the season? Would you not be in this hole if you would have signed Craig Kimbrell earlier in the season or maybe before the season started? Maybe. Maybe not. But ultimately, they righted it and they they signed Craig Kimbrell anyway. Now it looks like Pedro Strope is a mess and you can't rely on him ever. But ultimately, will they find someone now that the rosters expand here in a couple days? Will they find that next spark? Will Ben Zobris be another spark that can contribute to this Cubs offense? Can he be a lead, an everyday leadoff man for this team? Now that the rosters expand, you're going to be able to add a few guys. And maybe the Cubs can find some more arms kind of to help this bullpen out for a stretch run here. Nick Cassianos in 27 games with the Chicago Cubs. He has 11 home runs. Coming into today, his slash numbers, 352, 386, 685. His OPS is 1071. Dude. I mean, so, are, you, are you kidding there me? There used to be the Bash Bros, and I think you can have the Swag Bros. Swag Bros? You can have the Swag Bros with Javi and Castellanos. Why not? I that makes me happy. Doesn't it? Yeah. That, yeah. Like, I, I can really get behind that. Swag bros. I'm with you on that. I'm okay with the swag bros. I love it. Uh, so the Brewers and the Cubs, uh, the series this weekend, and we'll see what takes place over the course of the, the next couple days and if the Cubs can really uh, get back into first place in the division or if we're going to ride this roller coaster throughout the rest of this season. And, and, and the offense that we've seen over the course of the last four or five days is just something that kind of pops up every once in a while for this team or if they've really changed the way that they're playing. Let's change to this here. Chris Black and Am Abdallah here on ESPN 1000. Let's talk some football, Abdallah, because we are now officially underway for Bears-Packers week. The uh, kickoff of the NFL season next Thursday night home at Soldier Field. The Chicago Bears and the Green Bay Packers. The line right now in Vegas three. The Bears are favored by three over the Packers. And I think the thing as we head towards this week and the long weekend of Labor Day, and then what will happen is we'll all get back to work on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. You and I will be here all weekend, of by course the way. We will be. Saturday, college football talk. I love it. 12 to 2.30. And mm-hmm. then also Monday, 3 to 6, college football talk Notre with Dame. Jonathan Hood. Chicago's College Tailgate back for the second season. We have two shows this weekend. Check them out. Please. Uh, but when we come back to work officially on Tuesday. And we turn the lights back on on Tuesday because everybody else will be here. It will be well, yeah. You know, you have to put on a button-down shirt. You, you have to act energy, professional, yeah. and you know, like listen, weekend shows. We come to play. We yeah. we come for keeps, right? Yeah. Uh, here's the deal: when we get back on Tuesday, it's going to be like, oh yeah. By the way, this is game week. Uh, t- in two right, days, right? In, in two, two days. days, here we go. Uh, and here here's where it is with the Chicago uh, Bears. We know what's set up in front of us heading into this season. 
championship expectations are on the table officially. Mm -hmm. This is not hyperbole. This is not people going out over their skis. We have a defense here in Chicago that we are watching that could be the best in football. Last year, they were. Hopefully this year, they will be again. The offense. Will the quarterback, the young quarterback, the chosen quarterback by the GM, Ryan Pace, will he develop enough to help this defense move forward and chase a championship? That's in play. We have a young head coach, coach of the year last year. In year two, can he find the magic once again to get this team and all the swag that we are talking about with Javi Baez and Nick Cassianos? Can Nagy take that swag and put it back into his team that we saw last year and all the fun that we saw from the Chicago Bears last season? And what does it all come down to? We've spent an all offseason. We've spent the training camp and the preseason. It comes down to one thing. Can they figure out this kicking position no, by no, Thursday what? night? No, 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 it doesn't. Yes, it does. Stop it. And no, that's it doesn't. right back where we're at. No, it doesn't. Last time you saw this Bears team, they lost on a double doink and a kick against the Eagles and the Eagles advance. We know how it went. And we are right back at that spot as we are now at game week for the first week of the season in the NFL year. Bears Packers. And we really don't know if this kicker situation is fixed. It is. It's fixed. Because you know why it's fixed? Because the game is in less than a week, and you don't have time to bring in another kicker and get him up to speed to what you're doing. So Eddie Pinheiro is going to be your kicker week one. You have five weeks. He can't be. He has to be on your roster for five weeks before that trade goes through, and you have to give up the compensatory draft pick, right? Listen, so you've got I don't, five I don't weeks think to the compensatory draft pick matters if this guy's missing kicks in the first two weeks of the season. But I think that you, this is your guy for the first week. And you better hope, you better hope that the first game of the season does not come down. Because here's the problem. Kickers miss kicks every single year. Kickers miss kicks. Kickers miss extra points. It happens every year. The problem is now... Every little thing that Eddie Pinheiro does is going to be magnified. There is going to be, you have season tickets, you are going to be able to hear a pin drop whenever he steps up to kick a field goal. Extra points you kind of expect, but ultimately, like happened yesterday, people miss them. It happens. It happens all the time. Abdallah, I understand that. And you can say that it happens. No, this is dumb. Hold on. No. It's not done. This is this is why it's not dumb. Ready? You can say that she's just texting one of her friends, but if she was the one that cheated on you, the last one cheated on you, and then she's texting her friends, you're always going to have in the back of your head, like, is she maybe texting someone else? Like, I have it in the back of my head that the kicker's going to blow it. Like, that's what's there until the kicker makes kicks. Well, that's and, you. And, and, but here's the thing that, that why I keep going back to this, Abdallah, because listen to Matt Nagy last night. He was asked, is Eddie Pinheiro going to be the kicker in week one. You tell me whether or not this head coach is confident in his kicking situation. Well, we're going to continue to work through it right now. We have a... We have what do a, you think a, that that means to you? Okay, but look... What look, is that? Look, look, well, look. we're going to work through it? Listen. Listen. You worry about the kicker. That's all you... You want to worry about the girl texting the dude? That's fine. Or her friend or whatever. Maybe he's just a friend. Maybe it's not. I don't know. You worry about that. I'm worried about the guy that couldn't move the ball in the first half of the playoff game, okay? I'm worried about the guy taking the next step in the second year under Matt Nagy. That's what I'm worried about. Because ultimately, if you don't have to worry about it coming down to field goals, if you're putting up 35, 40 points a game, and you can do that, and you've got this defense with this much talent, it's not going to matter whether you miss a field goal or not. Because you shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. That's why.
Well, you shouldn't the- have dated her in the first place, Chris. Yeah, well, I, listen, I, I've made plenty of those mistakes in my life, so mm. I understand uh, mm. with that. Yeah, uh, and, and to your point, and I talked to Pat Boyle about this the other day on Carmen and Yurko, uh, you know, the Bears, for how good the offense was last year, they were still 20th in yards per play last season in the NFL. That's not good, and, and I get it. We all here in Chicago, we have never seen offense before. Yes, it's the first time in the history of the world that we saw a modern-day offense when Matt Nagy showed up to town with his offense, his Andy Reid-style offense. I get it. It's new. We think it's cool. That doesn't mean it was necessarily good last year. We think it's cool. Well, listen, 20th in yards per play. We saw what was taking place. Uh, Pat Boyle and I were talking with Dan Weeder yesterday in for Carmen and Yurko, and I asked Dan Weeder, what are you looking forward uh, to from Matt Nagy? to improve on as a play caller. Mm-hmm. I think there is some to improve with the head coach. Here's Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune. Well, the one thing that, that I want Matt, the box that I want him to check is, is really just the ability to score prolifically on a regular basis. They had too many games a year ago where the offense couldn't get to 20 points. It was a struggle. They had creative play calls and fun gadget plays and things that made the, the fan base ooh and ah. But now it's about getting points on the board and taking some of that pressure off your defense and, and making sure you don't need uh, pick sixes by Eddie Jackson down the stretch of games to, to win winnable games. And so I think Matt's got to figure out what that combination is that, that unlocks that scoring potential. I think you look at guys like Tariq Cohen, you look at a guy like Cordero Patterson, you look at a guy like Anthony Miller, the skill sets and the explosion and the talent level is so eye-catching. And now Matt's got to figure out what in his playbook fits those guys. He's got to figure out how to turn those guys loose while not overloading their plates and giving them too many responsibilities where they can't play fast anymore. And so there's a lot of moving parts to this, and I, I think it's, it's all about how he uses the number of weapons he has creatively and effectively in a way that's balanced and, and gets this offense putting points on the board over and over again. That's Ann Weedor from the Chicago Tribune. I'm with uh, myself, Chris Black, and Pat Boyle yesterday in for Carmody and Yurko. And listen, the Bears' offense needs to score more points. It can't come down to a kicker. Every single game. You're right, Abdallah. If the offense would have put points on the board in the first three quarters against the Eagles, you would not have to have waited for the double doink to see if you were going to advance or not. Right? Like, if the quarterback was better, if the offense was better in the first three quarters, the Bears would have advanced. Mm -hmm. End of story. Listen, Aaron Rodgers, listen to this list. Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz, um, Matt Stafford, does he count? Does Matt Stafford still count? I think Matt Stafford's a good quarterback. And in fact, I think he is probably the second best quarterback in the division. Okay. Jared Goff, Matt Stafford again, Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, that, that guy, what's that guy's name? The MVP? What's his name? What's his name? Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And then Kirk Cousins again. Is there a quarterback there that Mitch is better than? Uh, probably no. Okay. There's so probably the, a few that he's on par with. So you need to take that step, and you need to be better than some of those quarterbacks this year. Because ultimately, yes, the defense is going to do its job, but there's going to be a few games where the defense is... We saw it last year. We saw it in Miami. We saw it in the first game against the Packers in the second half when Aaron Rodgers came out and like a surgeon just decimated the Bears' defense. Okay? So there's going to be games where you're going to need to take the Bears down the field and you're going to need to score. And I don't know if I trust Mitchell Trubisky to do that yet. Because I haven't seen it yet. 
One day we'll have to do the segment where defense wins championships is actually a, a, a old tale from the past where it's not, not true in today's yeah. NFL. Mm-hmm. We'll do that someday. Yeah. Not today. We'll hear from Nick no. Saban, though, from Alabama. He's the head coach at Alabama. We talked to him at Bad. SEC Media Days. We'll talk to Nick Saban coming up next right here on ESPN 1000. Chris Black and Adam Abdallah in for Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. You're listening to my man's and them, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Welcome back to ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I'm Chris Black along with Adam Abdallah. You can follow us on Twitter at Adam A. Abdallah and at Chris Black. We get a chance now to talk with the head coach at Alabama, the Crimson Tide, Nick Saban, joining Chris Black and Adam Abdallah here on ESPN 1000. And coach, at SEC Media Days, you talked about Alabama getting back to a standard of Alabama football and excellence. How has your team responded to that message this offseason? Well, I've, I've been very pleased with the way the players have responded so far. And, you know, you never know until you go out there and play uh, and you see how they practice and, you know, sort of prepare, you know, each week. Uh, I think that everybody starts out the season sort of wanting to do the right thing. But, you know, how many people are willing to have the passion and make the sacrifices that they need to make to sustain the season? Because it's very difficult. It's a lot of hard work. And our players have usually been pretty good at that. And, you know, last year's team won 14 games. So it wasn't, like, terrible. But I just didn't think we finished like we wanted to. We played against a great team in Clemson at the end. And, you know, they made a lot of plays and we didn't. But I think we learned a lot of lessons from that game. And it certainly carried over you know, into our preparation for this season. Is the message any different from last season, or do you just stress finishing to the guys? Well, I I think we have a lot to prove. You know, I really do, and I think uh, that in and of itself, you know, makes the message a little bit different. I think it's, you know, the way I sort of describe it is when you're trying to prove something, it's like climbing the mountain. You know, you're trying to prove that you can climb the mountain. Well, when you win the national championship like we did, year before last, you know, you're sort of on the top of the mountain, right? So that takes a totally different mindset, right, to keep climbing, you know, once you've arrived. And, uh, you know, the opportunity for guys to lose their humility, be complacent about what they're doing, uh, gets, you know, sort of accentuated. And as a coach, it's my responsibility and my job not to let that happen so that Guys understand that the road to success is always under construction, and you've got to continue to do these things at a high level. And regardless of how easy it might have seemed to be, you know, early in the season or whatever, you know, we have to continue to prepare so that we can continue to improve because we're going to play better teams down the road, and then you're going to get exposed. And that certainly happened to us last year. Alabama head coach Nick Saban joining Chris Black and Am Abdallah here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Coach, your offense was outstanding last season, 46 points per game. Incredible, really, setting records across college football. But how do you see this group on offense improving this season? Well, I, I think that, you know, we certainly have some good players coming back. You know, the receiving core to it, quarterback. Uh, we've got some very capable runners. Um, got to do a little rebuilding in the offensive line. Lost a couple really good tight ends. So, you know, there's always things in, uh, that you are concerned about in terms of how are people going to accept these new roles? How is that going to affect the chemistry? Um, but, uh, and we have, you know, a new offensive coordinator. Um, but systematically, we're not changing a lot. 
Um, and I think it just comes down to fundamental execution if we're going to continue to improve. And uh, I think the thing that I've tried to emphasize is when we played the really good defensive teams, uh, which was you know Mississippi State down the stretch, you know Auburn down the stretch, uh, Georgia, Oklahoma, Clemson, the good teams. You know how well did we do against that? You know because you're not only just competing against the competition, you're also competing against yourself. And if we play our very best against the best opponents that we played, then I think that's a challenge for all of our players. You mentioned new offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian. He's got a history with Tua uh, going back to the, his time at USC. How important is that chemistry moving forward so the two can click on offense? Well, I think relationships are always really important with players. And, you know, Sark's a good guy and he has a good relationship with Tua. And uh, I think, you know, that's going to be very, very you know, beneficial to uh, Tua buying into doing the things the way Sark wants him to do it. And, you know, Tua made it, played great for us last year, made a ton of plays. Um, but, you know, if he ever made a bad play, it was because of decision-making process. So to clean that up, and there weren't a lot of them, but they hurt us down the stretch a few times. You know, that's one of the things that, I'm hopeful that Sark will do a great job with Tua on this year. If you had to pinpoint one thing that Tua needed to improve upon this offseason to be more successful in the next season, would it be that decision-making or would it be something else? No, but I think the decision-making comes from patience and taking what the defense gives you. Uh, And I think that, um, you know, when you lose your patience and you try to make plays and you think you've got to make a play or whatever, that's when you force balls and that's when bad things happen and I think that happened a few times at the end of the year, but I think with maturity, you know that that's those those are lessons learned. I and uh, I think you only get better because of that knowledge and experience that you gained, you know, from some of the things you 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 made mistakes on. Alabama head coach Nick Saban on the phone with Chris Black and Al, Adam Abdallah here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. You know, a lot of people point at Alabama as saying that they have more talent than other teams across the country. But coach, the one thing Adam and I talk about is it's not just the talent, but your team always plays a smarter brand of football. Uh, is that something that you coach the players and then also coach the coaches that work with you on trying to get instilled in your team a smarter brand of football so then your team always comes out on top? Well, I think, you know, knowledge is really, really important. And, um, you know, I mean, for our players to be knowledgeable about what they need to do certainly uh, can create a lot of confidence in what they're required to do and how they're supposed to do it, why it's important to do it that way. But, you know, the, the, the Bama factor has always been play with great discipline, be accountable to do your job at a high level on a consistent basis and put the team first. You know, those are the three things that we really emphasize to the player. Well, a player can't do any of those things very well if he doesn't understand exactly what the situation is in the game, what's required of him in that situation, as well as what is your responsibility to do your job on this particular play, uh, regardless of what the call is. So I think all those things sort of, you know, sort of um, tie together in terms of having a team that plays smart and intelligent football. Who are some of your leaders on defense this year that you will look to late in games to implement that message to the guys? Well, I think that's the area that, of our team that you know we, we weren't nearly as good at last year. Uh, we gave up more points, more points for games, uh, more big plays, um, didn't play as well in the red zone. 
I mean, we really need to sort of improve defensively. And we've lost so many defensive players over the last couple of years, guys going out already for the draft. And, um, and, and that, you know, that, that they, uh, most of those guys, that, that was a good choice and a good decision for them to go out early. I'm not complaining about that, but it's been, you know, a constant, we're young. We don't have a lot of experience. We've got lots of new players. So uh, I think last year we had eight new starters on defense. This year we'll have five. Uh, so we got a little bit more experience, but Dylan Moses, Xavier McKinney, um, Raquan Davis, I mean, at least we've got some guys at each position, defensive line, linebacker, and secondary, uh, that have been, you know, pretty good warriors for us, and I think that's going to help the leadership on that side of the ball. Nick Saban with Chris Black and Adam Abdallah here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Uh, last week here in Chicago, Coach Pat Fitzgerald from Northwestern uh, was asked about college football attendance issues, and he he pointed out cell phones and young people. Coach, why do you think college football is having a, a tough time getting people to go to college football games? Well, I, I, I'm no expert on this, and um, you know, I think Pat made a good point. Um, but I, I, I think we have to play more quality games. You know, I, I've always been an advocate, and you know, sometimes I get criticized about our schedule and who we play. But people act like you can play whoever you want. I mean, the other team has to want to play you too, or you can't have a contract with them to play. So. Um, but I've always been an advocate of playing 12 Power 5 conference schools. Everybody plays 12. Um, and I've also been an advocate of playing 9 or 10 SEC games, play more conference games, uh, because of the difficulty of scheduling. Uh, but also, that enhances fan interest. I think when you play three or four games a year that fans aren't interested in, um, they don't come to games. They get in the habit of doing other things, whether it's watch games on TV or whatever it is. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that's good for college football, and I don't think it's good for the fans because the game day experience is, is a wonderful experience. I mean, um, I, I can remember when my dad used to take me to one West Virginia game when I was a kid growing up, and that was the highlight of the year. Uh, to go to the game, not to watch it on TV, but to go to the game. So, um, you know, and I, and I think we all have to do a great job of making the fan experience great, but the quality of teams that you play will certainly enhance that as much as anything. A lot of talk has also been made about the transfer portal. Your own Jalen Hurts transferred to Oklahoma. How do you feel about the transfer portal, and do you think there needs to be some change to it? Well, I think the transfer portal is, is fine. Um, I think, you know, the, the reason that we had a transfer portal was when players were going to leave one school and go to another, uh, it, it gave them exposure and everybody knew that they were going to leave. So it could create some opportunities for them to do that. Uh, I think the issue is, is you create free agency when you throw the transfer portal in with 65 um, waivers to let guys be immediately eligible. I think if you're a graduate transfer, you should be immediately eligible. That, those guys don't fit in that category. You know, they've done their job for us. We've done our job with them. They've been in our program. They sustained. They graduated from school. We did our job in helping them graduate. They did their job in getting a degree. So now if their circumstance is not ideal and they want to go someplace else where it may be better, I, I, I get that. that. That's good. But when we have all these underclassmen, uh, that we give 65 waivers to. And I'm not saying there's not some circumstance. 
right, where it's not in the best interest of the player right, to, for personal reasons, maybe to go someplace else. I'm, I'm not saying that. But 65 waivers creates free agency. Right? And that's not good for fans either because it's not good for players either because they're not sort of fulfilling their commitment. And when you don't do what you're supposed to do, most of the time in the world there's some consequence for it. Um, so I don't know what we're teaching when we do that, uh, but it's not good for the fans either because they relate to these players. Uh, and now the player's not there. Uh, so when you have too much movement in college football, I'm not sure that's good for the culture of the game for anyone. Alabama head coach Nick Saban on the phone with Chris Black and Adam Abdallah here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Here in Chicago, coach, last year, Eddie Jackson for the Chicago Bears was outstanding, and he's definitely one of the bright stars on this Bears defense. What do you remember for, about Eddie Jackson down in Tuscaloosa and what you saw from him, and did you think he was going to be a star on the next level? Well, I thought Eddie would be a really good player uh, at the next level. He's so instinctive, uh, and he plays so smart. Uh, and um, it's really important to him. He has a lot of passion for the game, so he prepares well for the game. He understands what the other team's trying to do and reacts, you know, but he's got great ball skills. That's why he's a big interception guy. Uh, he was a good punt returner for us, uh, even though he doesn't have great speed. Uh, he was a great punt returner because of his instincts uh, and, you know, runnability after he catches the ball. Uh, doesn't surprise me at all. And he's got good cover skills because he played corner for two years, was a little speed deficient to play corner, so he moved to safety and he was ideal and um, just had a great career, and I'm really proud of him. And if people in Chicago really know, right, like we see guys come out of high school and they come out of bad situations and bad personal and family situations and things like that, and they, they just – grow and develop. I mean, it's what college football is all about, right? And helping guys, you know, develop careers off the field to, to mature as, as fine people. And, um, so that they have a better chance to be successful in life. You know, that's really what college football is all about. And Eddie is a great example of something, uh, a guy that has made me so proud, uh, that he came through our program and he's done so well. Coach, thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Coach. All right, thank you, guys. Have a good day, man. You too. Have, have a great day, Coach. Roll Tide. Adam Abdallah, Chris Black here. We just talked roll to uh, Nick Saban, and, and you tried to sneak in that Roll Tide for Coach, and then he, I, I he res- hung up on I you. I respect the man. I'm not going to tell him about my yes. fandom. So, Black and Abdallah here singing know. for Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Coming up next, a new list from ESPN, Brian Windhorse and the Hoop Collective. They have the top 14 stars to build your franchise around in the NBA. Who's number one and where does LeBron James fall on the list? You will be shocked. We'll talk about that coming up next right here on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Chris Black and Adam Abdallah sing in for Jonathan Hood tonight on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Coming up in 10 minutes, we go back to college football, get you ready for this weekend. Week one in college football, and Abdallah and I will be here tomorrow from 12 to 2.30 with Jonathan Hood for the first episode of season two 
of Chicago's College Tailgate. We'll be here every Saturday throughout the fall talking college football and hanging out with you right here on ESPN 1000. Abdullah, did you see this on ESPN.com? The NBA superstars we'd pick to start a franchise. Uh, Brian Windhorst and the Hoop Collective crew debated the topic and redrafted the league's best players, 1-21, to and if they could select any player on a four-year max contract, elite-level skill and length of the star's prime window were on the list of why you would ch- take each guy. And we start with number one. I think it's pretty obvious who they all voted as number one. It was Giannis Antetokounmpo from the Milwaukee Bucks, the MVP in the NBA. He yeah. goes number one. Obviously, because of his age, he just won the MVP. He's a superstar. Uh, he's going to be a dominant force. He's only 24. He's just entering the prime of his career. Of course you take him number one. Number two on the list, Luka Doncic, the uh. superstar uh, rookie from the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, they take him number two to build around. Stars to build around. Luka Doncic, number two? I'm he's he's going to be great, and I'm obsessed, but listen, over Kawhi Leonard? Yeah, but Kawhi's going to turn 30 here soon. So I Four under- years, though. He'll be I- 34. Yeah. Okay, but okay, so, so I understand number, why. All right, number three, Don't Kawhi Leonard. It, number four, James Harden. Yeah, I mean, you got to score in the NBA, right? Number five, Anthony Davis. See, I'm surprised Anthony Davis didn't go a little bit earlier. You might have taken him before James Harden just because of the way he plays, but it's not, it's not a bad pick. Number six, Steph Curry. See, that's another old guy, but the shot is the last thing to go usually. Right? Uh, the yeah. shot's the last thing to go. Probably. Okay, so if Steph Curry can still hit shots, he's still going to be a good player. So Brian Windhorst and the Hoops Collective uh, crew, they put together the NBA stars to build around. This is their list. Uh, there's a name that's still missing, right? He's still in the league, right? There's a name missing. Uh, number seven, Damian Lillard. Okay. Right. Yeah, there's you a, need shooting. To me, there's a name missing here. You need here. shooting. Uh, Zach Levine? Eight. Zach Levine no, is number, missing? No. Oh. Get, get out of here with that nonsense. Uh, number eight, Nikolo Jokic. That's a good pick, actually. I like that. Number That's eight. A good. Yeah. I feel like there's a name missing on this no, list. No, because you're looking for four years into the future. You're looking for now for four years. Oh, oh yeah. I'm aware. I'm aware of the criteria. Number, number nine, Paul George. Okay, now now we're getting a little weird. Number 10, Clay Thompson. Now, now there's a problem. Number 11, Zion Williamson. What are we doing? What are they do? What are they doing? Now, number 12, I kind I kind of understand why number 12 is where he's at because he's he's going to be hurt. So for one full year of this, for the four years, Kevin Durant's going to be hurt. So they put him 12. All right. Um, number 13, LeBron James. Am I missing something here? For four years, wouldn't you want LeBron still on your team to build around? How old is LeBron? 33. I mean, are you kidding me? How old is LeBron? He's well, my, he's our age. He's you, 34. Mr. Look It Up over there. You have a computer in front he's of you. He's 34 You're more than years old. Look it he's up. going to be 35 this season. Okay. You're telling me at 37 and 38, LeBron's going to be no good to build around? Uh, uh, listen. Number 14, he, by Joel By will be on Space Jam 3, so... So that's on ESPN.com. I... Listen, I think LeBron should probably go around the Steph Curry, Damian Lillard area. That's fair. 6-7 area. That's fair. But I could understand the Anthony Davis, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Well, Giannis, yeah. Giannis is number one. Yes. But LeBron should be there after, like, Steph Curry. Okay, LeBron he, he should be, like, not, six or seven. He should not be at the bottom of the list at But the, they at wanted 13. guys that are going to be under 30 that, they, that can grow, not guys that are already 34. That's Adam Abdallah. I'm Chris Black. We get you set for the college football weekend coming up next right here on ESPN 1000. Oh, what?